So this was an interesting exercise. As it happens, I was originally going to do these two games separately. <clears throat> and then I found I had a weird situation. I had maybe ten minutes of stuff to talk about in the first game, so I was like, huh. Given the fact that these games were originally supposed to be one game anyways, I figured, screw it, we'll just combine them into one video. Now, these are still awesome games, Soul Reaver 1 and Soul Reaver 2, and I've been a fan of the Legacy of Kane series for a while now. Um, but I do have to admit, my opinion of them went down a little bit as I was playing through this. There were two, well, three, really big issues that kind of detracted from my enjoyment as I went through. Number one, there were some weird sound design issues. Like, they didn't quite know how to balance audio or how to use uh, effects or how to make an area sound like an area. Instead, we just get this kind of generic... Or the music, which sounded dull instead of crisp. Like, there were a lot of weird sound issues throughout both games. Similarly, the lighting issues. Obviously, they're trying to make this a dark game, but as I've said many times before, there's a difference between dark and hard to see. Now, I will freely admit that it is actually very difficult to pull off dark while still being fully visible, but this game, these games, I should clarify, didn't. There were still several issues, although most of these issues are more in the first game than the second, but they still apply to both of them. The final thing was the gameplay itself. On the one hand, I did kind of like the pseudo-Metroid-y approach to it. I mean, it's not really Metroid-y. But, you know, the whole absorbing souls of bosses to gain new abilities, which aren't just useful for combat, but, can, you know, it's okay, I can go through this kind of material now. I can open a red door now, or, or to use a more direct parallel, I can go through the, the bars now, or I can, you know, unlock a thing because I can twist around it, you know, that kind of a stuff. That was cool, and I did like that concept. Um, it's something that Darksiders would later use to good effect as well, in my opinion. But there's something about the specifics of the gameplay and the movement that felt really clunky to me. And it was just kind of this, not a big deal, but just this constant irritation of, come on, come on, no, go over here, come on, no, and it probably wasn't helped by the block puzzles. Oh my god! Why are there so many block puzzles? Someone explain this to me. Why are there... <clears throat> However, there's one other complaint I want to levy really quick. This game reminded me in many ways of Metal Gear Solid. Not in a good way. Because there's several different ways to do exposition. But they really boil down to three different philosophies. Exposition dumping. Exposition, uh, exposition through... Uh, external sources, I don't have a proper term for that, you know, like having a codec or whatever, something like that, Not uh, or having like an encyclopedia thing you could pull up, and minimalist exposition. I can give examples of all three of these. Metal Gear Solid 4, or any Metal Gear Solid game really, is exposition dumping. The game basically stops so that people can talk to each other and discuss things. I'm not 100% willing to say that that's bad exposition, but it's my least favorite of the three styles. Uh, codec exposition, external exposition, Mass Effect is a good example of that. And minimalist exposition is, of course, uh, God of War 4. Excellent example of minimalist exposition, where you get a lot of information with very little being said. Now, all of these, you might say, well, hang on, what about weaving the exposition into the narrative? That can be done in any one of these three styles. Any one of these three styles can be done well and can be done poorly. And I feel like too many scenes were just, all right, hang on. <clears throat> 
in the beginning. You know, it just, just paused the game for a bit to exposit, and I felt that pulled me out of several scenes. That being stated, I did enjoy going back through these. Uh, it was probably a treat for three really big reasons. Michael Bell, Tony Jay, and Simon Templeman. I have absolutely no hesitation to say that this wonderful conjoining of these three actors was awesome and is one of the things that really helps sell the characters. I remember um, when I was looking up uh, information for uh, the first uh, Blood Omen, the first Legacy King game, one I've already done a rumination on, one of the things that came up was the idea that they were really hesitant because they weren't sure a voice actor could really get across the nuance they wanted and the, and the tones and the emotion that they wanted in the dialogue. And then Simon Templeman knocked their socks off, and they were like, okay, yeah, we're cool. And I, I mean that with total sincerity. The dialogue is well-written. As much as I don't like the fact that the game kind of pauses every now and again, and it's a little bit prosy, I don't mind prosy, and it's well-done prose, in my opinion. It's very um, Shakespearean, I suppose is the way I want to call it. And there's a lot of <laughs> excellent dialogue between characters. And that dialogue is excellently voice acted by the amazing Michael Bell, Tony Jay, and Simon Templeman. I mean, there's other voice actors involved, but those three just nail their roles. I also did a little more looking into the making of this franchise, because one of the things I mentioned back in uh, Blood Omen was my lamentation that the, the series hasn't continued. Like, it, it reached a critical point and then stopped. Now, I have received some pushback on that opinion for many years, both on the show, in the comments section, and from my friends, but I stand by that opinion firmly. You know, the prime mover has been revealed, feels like, all right, now we're going to go after the real villain, kind of a thing. Instead, nothing happens, and we're never going anywhere with that. But I bring that up because one of the things I found out was the, uh, let's call it mess, because there's no way I can probably vocalize how much of a mess this situation really was. This was just a jumble of garbage between Silicon Knights, Crystal Dynamics, and Activision. And that's pretty much the biggest reason why this went to hell. Although, there were three other very significant problems that led to why we never got the conclusion to the franchise. Uh, Amy Hennig, who was basically the predominant writer of the series, left to join Naughty Dog and end up working on the Uncharted series, so that's out. Uh, although she did do good stuff over in the Naughty Dog, or in the Uncharted series, so that's great. Uh, Tony J died, and that sucks. Tony J was awesome. And uh, Defiance, uh, Legacy of Cain Defiance, which was the one I mentioned earlier, didn't sell very well. So the loss of basically the main actor of the main villain, the financial problems, and the fact that your head writer leaves, yeah, it's logical for why the franchise ended. Oh, well. <clears throat> I also uh, want to comment very briefly on how much trouble... <laughs> I kept having with pronouncing the, the characters in this game. It doesn't help that several of the actors pronounce them differently, too. Raziel is what I'm going to try to say for that, and Hilden, even though Hilden and Heidlin are two other ways that I've heard that said. Mm. And Janos, gotta have Janos, of course. Let's talk about the story. One of the crucial elements of this story, and I'm just going to start referring to these games as one game from now on, is that cool? One of the crucial elements of the story of this game is the idea that Raziel has free will. That he is the only being with free will. Or at least the only being we know of that has free will. Now we know that other beings can influence and manipulate things on a grand scale. Cain himself does this. 
the Hilden Lord, the Hilden Paragon super awesome dude who isn't really a big deal in these games, does this. The Elder God does this. Uh, Mobius does this, despite his own problems. But the only one who can actually choose, the only one who can avoid destiny and the fate of the wheel, is Raziel. One thing that has never been explained to my satisfaction is why. Now, I know that's kind of leaving the limits of this particular rumination, since it's only... It's something that's just kind of accepted in this game, and then isn't really discussed all that much. The closest thing we ever get is, well, because he's a wraith. Okay. How many other wraiths are there? <laughs> Why don't other people make other wraiths? Like, okay, we're going to turn you into a wraith, and we're going to turn you into a wraith. All right, don't worry, it's okay. You'll have freedom well. It's cool, it's cool. There are... Two explanations I've heard, and as ever, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on why Raziel has freedom of will. The first and most obvious, excuse me, three line of thoughts. So the first and most obvious is it's because he's a wraith, which doesn't explain anything. The second theory I've heard is that it is the specific machinations of the Elder God that grants him this ability. The Elder God flat out states, I am the center of the wheel. Um... And the un excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, the unmoving center of the wheel. I love the dialogue in this game. And there is the implication that the Elder God, while not completely immune to things, still nevertheless has more influence on things than other things. The, the mere fact that the Elder God can reach out into virtually any timeline, uh, more or less at will, and the fact that it kind of spreads and grows over time. This is admittedly getting out of this particular game again kind of lends a little bit of credence to this. But the more I looked at that, the more I didn't quite agree with the idea. Obviously, the Elder God wanted Raziel as a pawn, and so that could infeasibly be it. But I can't picture the Elder God willingly giving something, some the, the one thing that can enable it to fight against it. You know, the, the one thing that could actually cause whatever his servant is to fight against the Elder God itself. It just doesn't seem quite in character. And as we've shown, the Elder God shows no indication of being aware of changes in the timeline when history is altered, nor the ability to be, be anything more than it is, is the way I want to phrase that. He seems just as... I keep varying between he and it. The Elder God seems just as chained to destiny as anything else. In fact, I find the Elder God to be one of the more fascinating things to speculate on in this franchise, which is funny for anybody who knows me and knows that I'm not particularly into Cthulhu-esque things, but I digress. But no. The third theory that I've heard is that it's the paradoxes. Let's look at the original way things went, which I believe is actually the second timeline? No, I guess it's actually the third timeline. Anyways. Uh, well, no, I guess it is the second timeline. For the, point being, there's four timelines. Uh, Raziel is a human. He's like, ha, 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 I'm born. I'm a human. Doo, 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 doo. I'm this evil guy who's a crusader. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, God! I've been impaled by this, by my own sword, which at the time was just a sword. But then the Wraith Blade merges with the sword, consumes Raziel, so that the Wraith Blade, which is emerging with the physical blade, which is now consuming Raziel, puts him into the sword, so now he's in the physical sword. Time passes. Sword is used a couple of times and ends up being uh, shattered and turns into this wraith blade, which allows him to do all this stuff, and then later on merges with the physical blade in order to... You get the circle, right? It's a, it's a classic paradox. Uh, Raziel's life had a definitive beginning, 
and no end, because he just keeps going through this stuff. The idea being that that paradox is something that pushes the wheel of fate in a way that it can't deal with, and thus allows Raziel to be someone who can alter his own destiny, have his own freedom of will. Given that one of the predominant themes of the work uh, was the idea of time abhorring a paradox, and the nature of how time works and is both immutable and mutable, is something that, to me, feels like this is the most reasonable explanation, and this is my personal theory on the matter. This would also explain why you can't just make other wraiths, and why the Elder God doesn't try to make anything else into a free will servant, because they basically can't. Now, this uh, also leads to the idea that basically you can't deliberately craft a paradox like this. You, there's certainly people do deliberately make paradoxes in this game, or these games, I should say, because that actually applies to several of them. Uh, and especially the Hilden Lord has been kind of behind so many things for so long. Point being, however, I think that due to the, for lack of a better way to put it, nature of time, it is entirely possible that Raziel is quite literally unique. And the only being that has the ability to have this freedom of will because of his unique nature. Lord knows that would be appropriate for the protagonist of a PC game, but I digress again. So I'm glancing at my notes here. A couple of thoughts just kind of tossed out here. Um, Nupraptor's corruption. Let me rewind. Who do you think started all of this? And I mention this because I've heard this discussed several times, in, in person as well as online. The two predominant theories are the Hilden Lord and the Elder God, the two, you know, most Machiavellian behind the scenes. We're manipulating everything for throughout time, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not sure why that's a debate as weird as that may sound. The Elder God is A, not omniscient, and B, not omnipotent. And in fact, the Elder God goes out of its way to not explain its motives, but at the same time, to me, its motives are self-apparent. <laughs> Forgive me for continuing to talk about the Elder God. I, I blame Tony J. He's so awesome. He was... God, ow. He was so awesome. Um, he adds wonderful vibrancy to the character. And again, very well-written character. To me, the Elder God is a wonderful irony. A, a sort of character paradox. Because the idea here is that the Elder God is this immensely powerful, immensely intelligent, highly Machiavellian, very manipulative, very scheming, very high sentient, sapient, intelligent creature whose only purpose in existence, all of that intelligence, all of that power, all of that knowledge that he uses and he has to, to bring, uh, to, to affect the wheel. I, in my opinion, the Elder's biggest power is his influence over the wheel itself. Hence why he's able to bring Mobius back, for example, just to name it what I'm talking about. But anyways, so all of that power and all that knowledge and all that skill, and he doesn't make art or music or, or civilization or concepts or rhetoric or anything. All he exists to do is to feed. He is the ultimate vampire. Something, which is very appropriate for the setting as well, something that's only purpose, whole, all, only motive, is to keep eating. Now you might say human society exists for that to well, and I will personally disagree with that mindset because, I mean, there's plenty of things that exist in human society that have nothing to do with eating. You listening to me right now is proof of my statement. 
the fact that the very concept of me sharing my thoughts and ideas and inferences, my ruminations on this game, these games, um, and you willing to listen to this to either learn or to share or to be entertained by it, you know, the very concept of entertainment, the very concept of intellectual burgeoning is proof of the fact that we as humans care about a little bit more than bag of carrots. Yes, I actually had this here just for this, <laughs> just for this metaphor. Don't worry, it's a closed bag. Um, that we care about more than just that. And yet this super mega powerfully, I, I love the irony of that. That's my own personal explanation on the Elder God, which of course brings me to my point. Who started all this? How does the Elder God benefit from the, the, the advancement of the vampire, you know, empire that Cain ends up doing and the decad, decrepit rotting of the planet of Nosgoth? Well, he doesn't. And if you're paying attention, he does everything in his power to try and undo this whole problem. This also, is kind of funny. Raziel flat out uh, confronts Ariel at one point in time. I'm not even sure when, to be honest. When and he flat out says, "You know, you, Ariel's like, oh, leave me alone. Cain is the one who needed to die for this." And Raziel's like, "Well, what if Cain dies and it doesn't fix anything?" That question has been in my mind for a bit now. It feels to me like the Elder God, for all his power and knowledge, is of course not fully cognizant of everything going on, and isn't sure if killing Cain will actually restore things to the way they should be. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, Cain survives the entire franchise and is eventually cured of the corruptive spell, so whatever. Getting back to my point, to me it seems very obvious that this whole sequence of events was put into place by the Hilden Lord. Cain himself flat out states, he, he gives this wonderful speech when uh, Raziel confronts him in the second game, that is to say Soul Reaver 3. Soul Reaver 2 the third game, God, I hate naming schemas sometimes in video games, when, uh, you know, if it's heads, I die, and the, the pillars are restored, but, you know, the vampires are wiped out and the Hilden win, or I, it lands tails, and I end up saying, screw it, and the world rots away. Either way, the Hilden get their revenge. Either way, the Hilden win their base, their ancient conflict with the ancient vampires. And I don't think the Elder God is, has any interest in any of that. Given what we learn about the the way the reason the old war started between the Hilden and the ancient vampires, I think that was deliberately pushed by the Elder God. More more souls to be consumed, right? Because that's what it cares about: feeding on the wheel, and that means keeping the wheel going. Which brings up another parallel, and this is pure theory crafting. But I think the Elder God is ultimately just as doomed as Raziel is. Let me explain. Raziel's hunger and the Wraith Blade's hunger is basically infinite. It, as long as it continues to have souls to consume, it's fine. But at some point or another, it's going to run out. And once it runs out, well, now what? Well, it dies out. The Elder God keeps insisting the wheel must turn. But it's only interested in that in order to keep itself fed, right? Assuming this is true, assuming it only skims off of the top, can't you see how, given this pseudo-lifestream cycle we've got going on, eventually the world would die out anyways? Bit by bit, there would be less lives being recycled back in through the wheel, and bit by bit, those lives would be consumed by the Elder God until there's nothing left. And once he'd eaten everything, well, then what? Maybe he would eat himself, too? Or 
worse, maybe he'd go on to another planet and start eating there. I don't have any answers for this. These are just thoughts that were bouncing through my head. Like I said, the Elder God's one of the more interesting characters to to hypothesize about uh, in the franchise for me. I uh, one thing I was really weirded out by, and I don't believe we ever get a definitive answer to this to this please forgive me if i'm wrong on this I, this is just speculation is we don't understand why cain can resist the corruption of the curse of nupraptor now cain was cursed when he was born he mentions that flat out but he doesn't turn into a giant rotting corpse pile or a spider catacomb thing or any of the other things that affects the rest of them you know, this, this whole mutation thing is a, is a byproduct of the curse, right? And the corruption that was affecting the pillars. So, why is Cain unaffected by this? I never got a definitive answer to that. Again, if anybody has one, please be able to share. I'm looking at my notes here. Seraphin. I, the Seraphin are interesting to me because ultimately the Seraphin is probably one of the strongest aspects of humanity in this franchise. Almost all of this franchise is about the vampires and the Hilden and with the Elder God just being like in the middle, getting, you know, the the refuse (laughs) from that war. But the humanity doesn't really have a strong presence other than the Seraphim. I kind of find it amusing that thanks to, in part thanks to the manipulation of the Hilden Lord, who founded the Seraphim, the Seraphim actually managed to basically win. There has been an argument levied that this was partially inspired by the Elder God, pushing Mobius into ensuring the Hilden Lord would be in a position to make sure the Seraphim exist, so the Seraphim would wipe out the vampires, and with all vampires gone, there would be no more disruptions to the wheel or to the cycle, and the Elder God could eat in peace. And that makes a lot of sense to me personally. It also means that if you think about it, this entire game is basically a chess match between the Hilden Lord, the Elder God, and Cain, which also makes sense to me. I feel so bad for Raziel. There's another quote. Uh, this is paraphrased. Uh, what kind of game is it when everyone, every player lays claim to the same pawn? Because Raziel is so useful to everyone that literally everyone uses him. <sighs> Poor Medivh. I mean, Raziel. Sorry. <laughs> One of the other things that I enjoy the thought of is that Raziel is, as a part of his nature to being separate from things, capable of perceiving things without a lens. Now, I don't have a lot of definitive proof of this. This is pure theory crafting. But I've noticed that, especially in the games where you play as Raziel, you tend to see things as they are. You tend to hear people as they are. There's not really a lot of, huh. Yet we know that lens filters exist within this setting. The, the most obvious and predominant example is the fact that Mobius has no idea what the Elder God is or looks like. He doesn't realize it's a giant squid, more or less literally that is a cancer on the world, like a a quite literal cancerous growth on the world, which is the last thing I'm going to talk about when we get to it in a second. Yes, I'm going to talk about even more about the Elder God. (laughs) But um, the the concept here is that since those lens filters exist and Raziel is completely immune to them, it's possible those lens filters are something that are being put off from the wheel itself. That someone who is like, I must do this, will do so blindly, 
not because they, I mean, obviously they don't have freedom of will, but it's not just because they're being mind, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. The idea is that what they can perceive, what they take in mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever you want to call it, is so filtered that they can only take the decisions that they are destined to. The idea that that, that wheel could theoretically be broken in a hypothetical concept. I don't know how true that is. It's just something I found interesting to think about and was mentioned by a friend of mine when I was talking to him about this. Which brings me to my final couple of thoughts. First of all, you'll notice I haven't talked about Raziel that much as a character, other than the fact that, oh, poor Raziel, I feel so bad for him. One of the things I do like about him, and a credit again both to the acting and you know by Michael Bell and to the uh, the writing by Amy Hennig and whoever else wrote him, Raziel comes across as someone who is more than a one-note character. He is not particularly heroic, but he's also not particularly villainous. He is sardonic. This is especially apparent in Soul Reavers 2, where he just suddenly learns to have uh, the snark factor, if you will. But he's... He's, he, he's, he's on a quest that normally would be completely normal and binary. Revenge! And yet, at each step of the way, he shows himself to be an intelligent individual. In other words, a character with complexity to him, a character with layers to him, who actually thinks and moves beyond his one note of, I must kill Cain! I wonder what's going on over here. He is certainly driven by that quest, but he thinks in other directions as well. One of my most amusing aspects of this is when he finds out that he used to be a seraphim, and he's like, oh, oh, thank God. And he, you almost get the impression that he is relieved to have an excuse to hate vampires. Like, in general, that he just had this disposition, excuse me, negative disposition towards vampires for so long. Like, oh, I hate you so much. But, you know, he kept it under control and kept it under wraps until this, you know, this betrayal happened. It's like, ha, 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 well, I have revenge. Oh, thank God, I finally, you know, I always got the impression from him because I always got the impression from Raziel of someone who couldn't quite cognate the way he really felt. He couldn't understand himself and his own thoughts and his own perspectives and his own biases. And then he finds out the truth about the seraphim, and then he's like, oh, hmm. Yeah, okay, that's messed up. And that's pretty much the moment when he just kind of pulls back a little bit. And oh, as weird as this may sound, instead of that breaking him, I always had the impression that that's what moderated Raziel. Finding out that the vampires are horrible, and then in interacting with Janos, who was a pretty decent guy. Finding out that humans are noble, and then finding out that humans are horrible by interacting with himself, when, who was a terrible guy, right? Between these experiences, they pushed him more towards a middle-of-the-road, moderate mindset, leaving him a more complex and interesting character, which unfortunately kind of happens by the end of the Soul Reaver 2 game, so that's more of a future thing, but whatever. Final notes. The Prime Mover. I mentioned earlier that the Elder God is, is a cancerous growth in the world. And I kind of hinted at my idea that it's got a Lavos kind of a thing going on. What if it is literally a byproduct? What if what happens is the wheel, which let's assume for the moment of, of, of speculation, is a physical thing? What happens if, or at least a spectral thing, I should say, which... Is, is kind of close to a physically... You know what I mean. In other words, it's a literal thing rather than a metaphorical thing. So, imagine for a moment if, as the wheel turns and as people are born and die and born and die, and of the three races, you know, interacting up top, 
bit by bit, the just tiny little bits of refuse and dribbling of souls or thoughts kind of started coagulating into cells, if you will, that weren't really, well, that were cancerous. That, that the Elder God is more or less literally a soul cancer in the classic sense of the word, in, in the literal medical sense of the word, that this is the uh, excess of mutated souls that didn't really fit within the rest of the body and were and just kind of kept being grown on itself because of an irregular pattern or something wrong with the system, right? And where this would have come from is unknown. Cancer can, of course, be caused by external sources, but is also a natural byproduct of simply existing as a living being in the way that we do biologically. So it's entirely possible nothing really caused the Elder God to come into being, or that maybe the other major manipulator in the setting, the Hilden Lord, kind of started this thing for whatever reason. Again, we don't know because we can't even speculate because Defiance is the end of it. What do you guys think? Either way, I do think that we can define this thing as a more or less literal cancerous parasite. The only question is whether it's a natural byproduct or an external invader. I don't know. But it was fun to go back through these games. I do hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time, guys.